Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelley Pash, business specialist and ecosystem builder for Kansas Main Street. I've been in the field of ecosystem building for about 14 years, and it's been a hot second that I've had the opportunity to chat with my friend and colleague and mentor, Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems hosted by Network Kansas. Don has worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for over 40 years, which is about the same amount of time as Main Street's been around. So he's got that deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. And hey, Don, welcome. Hey, it's great to connect. It's been a while because we both took some time off. Looking forward to our conversation today. Yes, very much, very much. I had the opportunity of looking through some of the papers that you sent. And again, I'm like, how can I learn more? (laughs) I just keep getting more in. So today we are talking likely entrepreneurial development opportunities, focusing on tourism-led development. So let me start off with Don. Over the years, E2 has curated a list of likely entrepreneurial development opportunities, like through tourism, new residents, those retiring boomers with rural remigration and outbound commuters. I read your papers. So can you share how this came into being? And also, E2 is producing a series of strategy guides. And if you could share some background on these strategy guides and how our listeners can obtain copies. The story is really rooted in the field work and our learning from communities, particularly rural communities throughout North America. And over the years, we've produced something called Development Opportunity Profiles, which provide a high-level analysis of a rural community's economy. As we process all of that data, doing hundreds of those, not only in Kansas and Nebraska, kind of in our home country, but in other places as well, there was a reoccurring set of themes where rural communities had entrepreneurial development opportunities. And that's where we developed our top 10 list, including natural resource industries, which are pretty obvious, timber in the Pacific Northwest, fisheries in Maine, production agriculture in the Central Great Plains. Of course, rural America serves as transportation corridor. So think of that interstate interchange. A lot of communities have opportunities there. Tourism, which we'll be talking about today. New resident attraction. And of course, part of that's driven by the fact that Urban Americans, because of cost and congestion and concerns sometimes about crime, are moving into rural communities, so there's opportunities there. Obviously, rural America is home to some major industries like manufacturing plants, and then on down the list, including area spending, retiring boomers, outbound commuters, or those that live in a community but work someplace else, and the role of many communities that serve as 
hub communities, your work with Main Street, those are hub communities where people come in to shop and play and obtain services. So we curated this top 10 list. There's a paper that Anne will be making available as part of this podcast. And as you alluded to, we are now producing strategy guides and tourism-led development will be the first strategy guide we'll release with this podcast. But later this fall, we will be rolling out all 10 strategy guides and they're just uh, guidance for a community to say, gosh, we do have an interstate interchange and how could we be more intentional in building that out so that it creates not only a stronger business community, but contributes to community vitality. That's the history, and we're kind of kicking off a new series now where we'll be focusing on these various likely entrepreneurial development opportunities, Shelley. Very nice. So one of the development opportunities you mentioned before is tourism-led development. And you've mentioned while the majority of Americans live and work in urban America, rural And that's a lot of the space that I work in. I think it's important that when we think of tourism, we think of those big destinations. Before we started the recording, you and I were talking about my wife and I took a big trip to the Rocky Mountains. We spent time in Yellowstone, the Tetons, Arches, Canyonlands, Mesa Verde. We hit kind of the high-profile destination national parks. So that's part of tourism. And for those communities, Gustus Park, that's a gateway community, or others to national parks, destination tourism is a big industry. But I think we also want to think a little more broadly. Think about Nashville. Music City draws millions of visitors because of the music and art scene that Nashville hosts around country music. But in your neck of the woods, think about Old Town in Wichita, the old warehouse district that's now been repurposed into eating and drinking and entertainment venues. There's a number of hotels that provide conference space. That's a destination, and it shows up in Wichita's numbers based on the work we've done with Christina and the core part of Wichita. But it can also be places like Rochester, Minnesota, and the Mayo Clinic, where millions of people come there for health care. Again, think of visitor attraction as well as destination tourism. And what that means is there's a lot of communities in rural America that have the potential to attract visitors, even if they're not one of those top-tier national park or music city destinations. So, of course, I hear that, and I think of John Schallert coming in and talking to a lot of our main streets and getting them to understand that work on the niche that you have and provide that and kind of work on that. Sometimes we don't have that. And I have another question later, but you know, some places just have that. Everything's right there on a silver platter for you. So maybe you kind of focus on that a little bit more. And you mentioned those gateway communities into Yellowstone, like Gardner, Montana, have that destination tourism opportunities. And here in Kansas, there's Olathe and Overland Park to Kansas City. Many rural communities don't have that destination tourism asset on a platter, as I mentioned, that silver platter, but they do have visitor attraction development opportunities. So through your papers that I've looked at, you have to share some of these lesser recognized visitor development opportunities with our listeners, because I think sometimes people step back and they, and they get a little frustrated with where they're at and trying to get everybody on that same page 
to be able to like, let's work with this, especially if you have something. So I'll let you go. The lesser recognized visitor development opportunities. Yeah. And I think this applies to almost every rural community of any size. They have these opportunities and they really should think about how they make their community a destination for visitors. So let me share some great examples. So first, I'm going to go back to Ord. I know we've talked a lot about Ord, but there's two destination resources in Ord. One is Utopia Spa. Sarah, who grew up on a ranch, moved away, got into holistic medicine, came back, founded Utopia Spa. There's now about 19 women who offer spa services, everything from hair to nails to hot and cold treatments, yoga, spinning, you name it. I like all those things. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to go to Utopia Spa in Ord. It's an amazing place. The outside of the building is not terribly terrific, but you get inside and you feel the ambiance of this place. And people come from not only a multi-county region, but as far away as Denver and Omaha to Utopia. And what's really interesting, one of her clients are aging farmers who have worked their bodies hard and they're coming in for cold treatment and stretching and heat treatment to deal with that arthritis and those wounds that they've developed over time. So that's one. But there's also the Scratch Town Brew Pub. And a lot of communities now have this. Caleb Pollard and his partners at Scratch Town are remarkable brew masters. It's a neat place. Again, it draws people from not only the area, but folks who are traveling through, maybe on their way to the Black Hills or someplace like that, they make a point to stop and take in some of Caleb's beer. Those are opportunities. Some other examples, most communities of any size, we see this where they build a motel, they build a small conference center to go with that motel, and they become an epicenter for regional and local meetings, wedding celebrations, anniversaries, and that brings people to town and it fills those motel rooms so that this rural community of a thousand or two thousand or five thousand has better lodging. But coupling that with good food service and a conference center, we see a lot of communities doing that now. And that becomes a destination to bring visitors into the community. And you can talk about this more than me, but I'll put it on the list and then we can come back to it. Downtown revitalization, vibrant rural downtowns. I think I was just recently through Monte Vista in the San Juan Basin of Colorado. And Monte Vista was one of those communities that really thrived during the mining era and agriculture. They've now repurposed their downtown into what they call in Colorado creative zones. And on the main level, the retail level, you'll love this as a downtown specialist art galleries. The artists are living in the upper floors. Their studios are in the back. And so there's coffee shops and cafes and wine bars and craft breweries. As I drove through Monta Vista, that Main Street district was just packed with people. But we can also think about festivals. I think about the great pumpkin festival in Circleville, Ohio, south of Columbus. It runs for 10 days. It draws thousands of people into the community. 
And then finally, I don't think we want to forget about heritage tourism. And I think about Red Cloud, a community I've worked with in Nebraska, a community of 900. It's home to Willa Cather, the author. About 30,000 people come to Red Cloud each year to visit the Opera House, to go to the Cather Center, to visit the sites where Willa Cather based a lot of her books. Heritage tourism is really diversified and strengthened that small community because of the international reputation of Willa Cather as an author and the people who love her writings. So those are some examples. And so when communities step back, you don't have to be Gardner next to Yellowstone. You can be O'Neill, Nebraska with a great motel, a small convention facility, wonderful catering, and you can attract people from a multi-county region. So you mentioned about having those boutique hotels or some sort of space where people can hold those, the meeting spaces. And sometimes I know there is a community that one of them was the heartstrings of the community, where do we do this one first? Because this is what people remember when they were kids. It was more of a theater and they wanted to do an event space or they wanted to do them together, right? So they had the event space, but they also had the theater So which one, it was chicken or the egg, right? So it was really a struggle and it's still a struggle for that community that which one do we do? I'm like, okay, pull the trigger, just do one of them. So, but you're right. When you realize that you've got an adorable town, a great community that you have things to offer, that you have to have places for people to stay. So if you're having them stay, then you have the meeting centers for weddings, venues, whatever. But being able to do that and offering the economic vitality for your main streets to focus on those capital incentives and financial tools that can help them assist to bring them forward a little bit more. You mentioned the promoting, even those festivals and things like that, and having that community, that center, the hub of everything. And you know that lodging is so important, that if people spend that night or two nights in the community, you're just going to get a much bigger bang for your economic development buck. And that's one of the neat things. And I think people should really stretch themselves. I talked about Red Cloud and Cather Land, a $20 million redevelopment of the moon block that includes the Cather Foundation, the Cather Historic Site, the Opera House. They converted some of the Main Street businesses back into their historic look of the 1900 period. And there's a wine bar there, a great coffee shop that features foods that are rooted in the culture of this community. But right now, Red Cloud is building a boutique hotel using two historic buildings across from the moon block where all these assets are. It's a $5 million project. It's going to be a remarkable facility. But what it means is those visitors who are coming to Red Cloud can actually stay in a beautiful hotel with real character as opposed to going 40 miles up the road to the next largest town that has a chain motel. That's where I think communities should really stretch something themselves about what's possible if they'll create those kind of destination assets. People are starting to get a little bit more into the Airbnbs as well. That's been a huge thing. In fact, I had just taken a trip to Southern California and pretty much anywhere you go is going to be spectacular. And we ended up doing, and I have friends that live there. (laughs) So we were there. I stayed with them for a little bit, but then we ended up, let's go do an Airbnb 15, 20 minutes down the road, but it happens to be 
I was right in between the ocean on one side and the bay on the other. So it was pretty nice just to be able to offer that. But And having the culture of those side of things in those small communities to be able to do that. And I was trying to remember, I know Junction City had been working on their opera house in an expansion project. And wow, I mean, it's just fantastic. And they're one of our new main streets as of 2021. So I was super proud of them. The the things that they are doing, they're just like out of the gate and doing extraordinary things. So super happy to see. And being a military community as well, they're really taking their assets and moving forward the best they can. And they're doing a damn fine job. And it's so important because if you can become a destination community, really think about how you attract residents using whatever assets you do have, that allows you to diversify that economy because that traffic is not going to be tied, let's say, if you're commodity ag. And we know with commodity ag, you're going to have boom and bust as corn prices and cattle prices fluctuate. This is a way to not only create more opportunities for other ventures in your community, but to diversify that economy so that it's a bit more resilient given what the underlying economy might be in the community. I agree. We could keep going. <laughs> we can certainly keep going. I mean, on the economic vitality side with Main Street itself, we're trying to catalyze that property development that we have and the businesses and create a supportive environment for entrepreneurs that we have. So, and the innovators and all those things that are going to drive the local economy. So, I think we just have to make sure that we support wherever we can as the ecosystem builders. And, you know, we're the ones that are just trying to support them to move their dream along and get their community thriving to where it needs to be. I know you were mentioning development opportunity profiles and in a parallel development strategy guide where you're focusing on transportation corridor development. E2 explores an entrepreneurial development opportunities within highway and interstate service hubs like food, travel, and lodging. You mentioned that earlier, so I would love for you to share some examples there as well. I think it's an under-recognized opportunity. I mean, think about it. Rural communities provide the quarters through which telecommunications, energy, but travelers. And in the United States, after World War II, we committed to the interstate and the federal and state highway system to really make it easy for people in their own vehicles to travel the country. And most communities are found along these major corridors, not only interstates, but maybe they're at a crossroads of two major federal highways, one going north and south and the other going east and west. That creates an opportunity for service businesses, truck stops, cafes, gas stations, lodging, of course. And I think it's important to step back and say, okay, who are the entrepreneurs that are engaged in those businesses? And let's think about, you know, the customers you have, but let's think about the traveling public so that you can differentiate yourself from other potential communities where people can stop. So if you look at one interstate interchange, you've seen a hundred interstate interchanges. I mean, they all have the same stuff. And hopefully you've seen a hundred. Right, exactly. And so how do you differentiate yourself? So I was talking to some of your former colleagues at Network Kansas, and we were talking about this. And I know you are a pet owner. There's a lot of folks now that travel with their pets, primarily their dogs. But Oh, I would not do that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, but a lot <laughs> do. Right. They do. And they do. so think about communities now that are saying, okay, 
there are millions of retired boomers. Many of them are exploring America. They are traveling with their dog and they are looking for pet friendly interchanges that have dog parks that when you go to the gas station, they have water for the pet and those kinds of amenities. And so part of what we're talking about with corridor-led development is to really think about what are the services that the more discretionary traveler who has a bit more time is going to say, I want to stay there. Is this a community that's friendly culturally to a diverse group of people? Is this a community that's pet friendly? Is this a community that if I'm a retiree and I have a disability, I'm looking for lodging that provides not just the standard disability services, but additional. These are ways for communities to really begin to differentiate themselves, to stand out and to say, People are out looking for these amenities, and am I providing them so that they can make the choice to say they could stop 30 miles up the highway or they're going to stop in my community, spend the night, spend more money because I'm providing the kinds of services that they want. And I think it's also aesthetics. Most interstate interchanges, I'm sorry, are ugly. They look like one strip mall. So is there green space? Is there a place to have a picnic? Are the properties well-kept and attractive? You get into this with Main Street. Has there been hospitality training? So that person behind the counter is appropriately engaging. And if they say, I'm a Catholic, I want to go to Sunday Mass, are they able to help them navigate to the local parish to do that? I mean, this stuff really matters and can help folks become a destination for those more discretionary travelers who are looking to say, where am I going to spend the night? Where am I going to stop? Because this community is offering the kinds of services. But when I do that, I have a great experience. And you know what? Those folks talk to their friends and relatives. They post on social media that this was a great place for somebody like me who is looking for certain amenities, but also that welcoming environment. You mentioned when folks are traveling more, and especially now with pandemic, I've always done a little bit of road travel anyway, but with the pandemic, there is a lot more because, and people are taking their pets. I mean, we just had some friends in town this past weekend that both of them brought two dogs with them and they just want to make sure, of course, made sure that we set them up since we knew them. <laughs> like go over there. But as you said, too, when you go into an Airbnb or a hotel or whatever that happens to be, I've been many places where everybody is not on the same page. Hey, where can I go to grab some kind of dinner, whether it's Italian, Vietnamese, whatever, American food, whatever. And you get the response saying, yeah, we don't have anything. You're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So as your economic developers, as your main streeters, That has to be something that we can go in and talk to them to make sure that we have to offer some things or here's a list of things and let me leave this with you so we can make sure that people are welcomed into the community. And of course, you go, you stop somewhere because you're like, oh, this is very attractive. I want to hang out and I see there's dog bowls or cat bowls or whatever that people are leaving outside of their restaurants or outside of their shops. And That just warms my heart when I see that. We were at a festival this past weekend and there was this little girl, she couldn't have been 10 years old, 
and there was a balloon and on the balloon, it said water. She was watching people walk by with their pets and she was grabbing the balloon and just putting it out there for people and kind of pointing down. And But it was so sweet. People started walking over because you know, the girl was cute and then the little bowl of water and they helped their pets out. But you have to have that welcoming and that pride factor within your community for sure. Let me give you an example, you know, with my wife and I's month-long trip in the Rockies. We were careful because of COVID. We didn't want to go into dense restaurants, even though we're vaccinated, we're being a little bit safe. And so we were looking for restaurants that had outdoor dining. So every community that we were going to, we were getting up on the web, checking. And this is my one complaint. This is the only one I'm going to make today, was we would identify restaurants that had outdoor dining and their website said it, we would show up and they go, no, our outdoor dining is closed. I knew you were going to say that. It is super frustrating. People are updating their social media, but they're not updating the website. Yeah. And so we finally gave up and just bought at grocery stores and went to parks, which meant we didn't patronize those restaurants because we couldn't get good information and it just became too much of a frustration. And so we got to make it easy for our visitors to find the stuff they're looking for. And I know that takes a lot of work and everybody's struggling with not having enough employees. But those added things can create customer loyalty and drive traffic through your door. This past June, I happened to be back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my parents don't live too far, so they were going to come up, and my mom had checked, and of course, I was just walking over to where we were going to meet them, and I called her, and I said, hey, did you check if they're open? Because, you know, we're at the window, and we're kind of crouched down and kind of, you know, trying to look in, and she's like, well, no, I looked online. I'm like, yeah, they're not open. (laughs) She's like, but I looked online. I'm like, did you call? No. But it said they were open. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, and that's where we keep finding that the social media side is where they actually are updating a lot of things. So at least I'm trying to recondition myself to look there if I don't call. Yes, for sure. So you mentioned some topics, you mentioned some papers. How about you share with our listeners where they can learn more about our topics today? Shelly, as part of this podcast, when this drops in October, Anne is going to share our paper that we did some time ago called Likely Entrepreneurial Development Opportunities. That talks about all 10 of these areas. We're going to release the Tourism-Led Development Opportunity Strategy paper that you looked at as part of your preparation for this podcast. I feel like I got like secret stuff from, and you talk about Anne, she's like the great Oz, right? Yeah. Behind the curtain. I feel like I got the pre-read on some of these things. Absolutely. So we're going to release that. And then a little later in October, we'll release the corridor related paper that really gets into the nuance of how do you differentiate yourself as a destination for the traveling public that are out on our highways. And so that'll be coming out. And of course, I really encourage folks to think about our standard resources. Obviously, our website, energizingentrepreneursoneword.org, is the go-to resource. You can sign up for our free newsletter, which is where we're going to let you know when we're dropping new content, either generated by us or our friends across North America. And of course, you can sign up through your favorite platform, the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast, as well as find 
find other resources. So some specific stuff, but we're also going to remind you about the basic resources that you can use to access all of the wonderful content that Anne and our team are making available to folks who are really focused on making their corner of rural America thrive. Very nice. And of course, you have all of those things updated. Nicely done. (laughs) We're happy to say that. Well, it has been a pleasure and just absolutely always lovely to have you on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. So I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely, Shelley. Thank you so very much. It's great to do these with you. And we'll do another one next month now that we're kind of in a normal pattern because our extended vacations are over (laughs) for now. So sad. (laughs) So sad. Well, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm-hmm.